them. So at this time, um, I just want to introduce our pastor as he comes and starting and kicking off a new series today on Stand. So our pastor, David Hale. Thank you. How's everybody doing this morning? <laughs> you guys doing online? Sometimes we don't ask that question. Um, I'm not sure how you'd answer me, but <laughs> put a comment in the section below. That's probably the best thing to do. Uh, as Karen said, we're going to be starting a new series today called Stand. Um, I get a question a lot right now um, this is in men's group and uh, just counseling, just conversations over coffee. One of the questions I get over and over and over again is, what do I do with the circumstances and the things that are happening all around us? What do I do? And uh, probably a, a, an even better question is, what would God have me do? That's really what people are asking. They're like, in this, in this context, sometimes I feel helpless. Sometimes I'm not sure what to do next. And so what would God have me do? And so those are great questions, and I want to start um, this, uh, that uh, kind of start with an seemingly unrelated story, but it's important. Uh, about two days ago, um, I stubbed my pinky toe on my left foot. Anybody ever done that before? Stubbed a toe. I don't know what it is about something so small. It's kind of like a rudder. I think Paul should have used that as an illustration because something so small can determine your entire existence for the next couple of days. But I stubbed my little toe, and first thing I did was I danced around like it was supposed to rain, right? And I sat down, I whimpered like a girl, and then I went through the five stages of grief. Like, I was in denial, I know that just didn't happen. Then I was anger, if only my Appalachian daddy would have made me wear shoes more often. And he's watching, by the way, I love you, Dad. Uh, number three was bargaining. Maybe it's not that bad, and then I looked down, and it's like, nope, it's bleeding really badly, the, the little toenail was hanging on like a dead pine tree in a hurricane and then I went through depression and I was like it's it's this is terrible it's COVID's fault I hate COVID I always bring that in and then lastly I went through acceptance and I'm like fine I'm gonna wrap this thing in duct tape and hope that little piggy doesn't go to market so thankfully the little nail is still hanging on <laughs> I put another band-aid around it this morning but the point is when your foundation is shaky man everything's shaky like it literally determined by next two days I, mean, I, could, I couldn't put shoes on outside of flip-flops, which is fine. You know, this is the South, and so I could get away with that. So, so I put on flip-flops, and I walked around a little bit, but I was, I was a little bit worried about today uh, preaching in flip-flops. Not that there's anything wrong, uh, against that, but uh, uh, it would have been a little bit different. I've never done that before here at DCF. But uh, I transition with this story into the fact that we're in a war. And so I, I know, again, this story seems unrelated, but we're going to get there in just a second. But I want to start in just a minute in Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm going to read my text this morning. It's Ephesians chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 10. But before I get there, just kind of a little bit about Ephesians. Paul goes after um, uh, the fact that we're in a walk. There's a walk um, of, of the believer in different ways. Picking up in about verse, uh, sorry, chapter 4. He talks about believers to walk worthy of his calling and then walk differently from the Gentiles. Walk, putting off the garments of the old man, to walk as ch children of light. Uh, he talks about believing wives and husbands or to walk in a spirit of submission and love. And so it's all about the Christian walk. And one of the things he gets toward the end, he ends with, he, he ends with finally there's a walk of warfare as a Christian believer. And so it's, it's something that we forget. Um, if you've ever been um, in a war, if you've ever been in battle, if you've ever been anything like that, um, we were, I experienced some of that in the Air Force. Most 
were scuds coming at me during Desert Storm. So it wasn't like we were in a, in a trench. It wasn't like we were in the jungles of Vietnam. So it was a little bit different. But, but anything to do with battle, there's an intensity that comes. That is, it's absolutely overwhelming. It's hard to explain. Um, it, it, and it doesn't go away very quickly. And so often we get, if we're not careful, we get tired. And so I, I did a series recently on, on rest and about how there, you know, there's something for us to do. God has given us something to do. Um, but too often what we'll do is we'll, we'll do it and then we'll try to rest from it. And God spoke to us about, in, in Genesis, about how there should be rest first before you go into what God's called you to. So the only way you're going to sustain this process, this walk as a believer, in all of these things that, that, that the Spirit of God goes after, the only way you're going to maintain that is to do it God's way. If you try to do it any other way, you're going to get in trouble. If you try to do spiritual warfare and take upon you things that ought not be yours, you're going to get tired really, really quick. You're going to get worn down really, really quick, and the enemy's going to take advantage of, advantage of you in that, in that broken state, for lack of a better term. But I want to start reading in um, verse 10. I'm going to get to Ephesians 6, 13. That's kind of the text of this series. But let me start in Ephesians 6, verse 10. It says, Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. If you've been around church, especially if you were a kid, you, you've been through this. Maybe you've forgotten some of it. We're going to get into some of that in this series. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness, in the heavenly places. And so often when we read that, we'll read it and we'll say, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but yada, yada, yada. Uh, <laughs> womp, wanna, womp, 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 womp. Right? That's the Charlie Brown teacher mindset that we get into if we're not careful when we're reading the Bible. But listen to that. It's the first thing it says is we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Well, who bothers you? Right? How often do you wake up with the devil just kind of standing at the end of your bed? Right? That's happened to some, some pretty intense believers in the past. I've read stories about that. I've had, I've had demonic encounters that wake me up. And it's a frightening thing. But that is a rarity in the Christian walk. Most of the time, the people who are being used of the enemy are the ones who are doing the damage. The saying the hurtful things. We have a, a scenario in our, in our country right now where there's tremendous unrest and there's a, there is a godly aspect to that in the sense of a pushback against injustice and there is an ungodly aspect of that that is trying to push an ideology that is anything but God. And if we don't know that, they'll all be kind of lumped together. And, and if we're not careful, we'll miss. We'll, we'll miss when God, when we're wrestling, we'll miss that we're wrestling not against people, not against even organizations or any of those things, although they may be the ones who are on the front lines. They are the ones who are pushing the agenda of the enemy. But the Bible says that's not what we wrestle against. What we wrestle against is something higher. Principalities, powers, there's something going on in the heavenly realm that is below God but above us in one sense. But there's this really interesting passage in the Psalms that talks about you and I as the crown of God's majesty, the crown of God's glory, that when he, he made everything, and I talked to our, our nephews about this, he made everything, but when he made, he made everything and he said it was good, but when he made you and I humanity, he said it is very good. And his, and his, his focus has been on that ever since. And the Bible says that he created, you, you read this in different places in the Bible, but the enemy 
The Bible says that the, in, that, the, that the devil or Satan, and you see this, some people think that's just mythology, but I believe it's accurately true and, and actually true. It's just in a spiritual realm. But the Bible says that, that, that these angels, especially the archangels that we see as the, the enemy as being one of those, was a high-ranking being in heaven. And he fell through pride and arrogance. He wanted what God had. He wanted something that was God and that was God's and God's alone. And in the taking, in the attempt to take that, the Bible said he was cast down to this planet, to this earth, right? And the Bible says it calls him the prince of the principalities of the air. So there's this, there's this enemy that is not in heaven anymore, right? This is what the Bible says. There's a season now, and this, this season that we have, this, this place called the fall. From the time of brokenness in Genesis, Jesus began to restore it all. The kingdom come, the kingdom not yet. I talked about that in, in recent series. But as we move forward, what you see is a picture of in this interim, there is a battle going on. And too often, if we're not careful, one, we get it theologically inaccurate and we'll say, you know, there's yin and there's yang, there's God and there's the devil, there's good and there's evil, and they're always equal. And that could not be farther from the truth in Scripture. That there is, there is a heaven and there is an enemy that in the spiritual realm, outside of being a redeemed man, human, human or humanity being redeemed, that we are below him in his power and his authority and everything that he wants to do, and he moves people as he will. And you know that's true because some of the ideologies that we're struggling with right now, some of this neo-Marxism, crazy combination of postmodernism and, and Marxism, of all things, they're becoming bedfellows, right? In our, in our culture today, it's, it's grown in our colleges, in our universities, and now we're seeing it pushed out into the world, and that's what it's going to do. And so we see these ideologies that just one century before killed upwards of 100 million people. And the arrogance of the people who say, but they did it wrong, we're going, to do it. we're going to do it right. Like, I just don't have a whole lot of patience for that, do you? <laughs> but here's the thing. That ideology caused people to destroy people and, and, and begin to think of humanity, certain aspects of humanity and certain groups of people as less than human. That, even though that was perpetrated by tyrants and evil men, the origin of it comes from somewhere else. So here's why I'm saying all that before I get into the rest of this. If you find yourself battling on Facebook, you have already failed. <laughs> now don't get me wrong, it's, it's fine to take a stand on Facebook, it's time, and we're going to talk about some ways to do some of, the, some of the things we're talking about. But if you go after it on a natural level and not battle it in the spirit first, in that spiritual place first, you are destined for failure because it will wear you out. You will battle in the natural when you see be battling in the spiritual. You'll be battling in the emotional rather than battling in the spiritual. Let me give you an example. Um, turn off the news for just a couple of days and see what happens. Your emotions, all of a sudden your emotions will just change. Why? Because it's not being fed by something that's coming from that place that's building into fear as opposed to faith. Now, now I'm not telling you to be ignorant of what's going on in our culture. I think that's foolish and I don't think Scripture speaks to that. But I think you have to be careful what you feed, right? If you're feeding these fears, you're feeding the stuff inside of you, there's a good chance that you're not feeding the supernatural and feeding the spiritual in a way that's actually going to cause you to be, be able to overcome. So he talks to this in, in verse 12, and then he jumps to verse 13, and he says, 
Therefore, so in other words, because of all this, because you're not battling in the, in the natural, you're battling somewhere else, he said, take up the whole armor of God. And, and there's several things that he's, he speaks to um, in terms of what we're supposed to be taking on. We're going to get to some of those a, a bit in the future. But he says, take up the whole armor of God, and this is what he says is why. So that you may, may be able to withstand in the evil day. Right? So te- it, this is a really interesting phrase. And then the last part of this is probably the thing that captured my attention, what led to this series, and that's these, these words. It says, and having done all, to stand. So listen to that again. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand. Now, in some ways, it doesn't seem like the pushing, you know, the, the, the progress of the gospel, you know, being on the offensive. But I'm going to talk about why that it actually really is. So first of all, what's the evil day? Some days are worse than others. There's, there's an uh, apocalyptic version of the evil day coming that, that Paul speaks to. The brokenness gets so bad that the, you know, that the world is in dismay. And, and I don't think we're there yet. People are like, you know, we're in the last days. I'm like, yeah, we were in the last days 2,000 years ago. So there are some things that are common, right? You keep hearing the word unprecedented about today, right? About what's going on today. And, and to, to some degree it is, but in many ways this is nothing new. You know, the enemy doesn't come up with new plans. He just works the old one. Why would he change it if it works so well on us, right? So Ephesians 5.15 says, Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Even then, Paul was saying the days are evil. Why? We live in a fallen, broken world, and there is some, some aspect of a spiritual Danger zone for lack of, you know, it's hard to put, we, we want to think of it, we want to think of it in natural terms. We're here on earth in the principalities of the air and then somewhere up in the universe is heaven. But, it, but we have to remind ourselves that that's a spiritual, there's a spiritual description that we try to put in in the natural, right? And that those places can overlap. Heaven can be here on earth. We know that because Jesus said when he, when he was teaching us to pray, he said, pray this, that, that what would hap- what's been happening in heaven would come and happen on earth. So there's a spiritual overlap. There's not this, this absolute distinction between the places. And so it's helpful to remember that. He says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish. In other words, you can, you can let the, the, day, the evil day take advantage of you rather than you doing what you need to do. It says, but understand what the Lord's will is. It's really interesting to me that over and over and over again, God keeps drawing us back to stop doing it your way. Your way doesn't work. And we, you think we would have figured it out by now, but so often we're like, no, I'm gonna, you know, I've only done this 10,000 times and it's failed every time, but this time, <laughs> right? And isn't that exactly what the Marxists and these uh, postmodernists, you know, mixture of this baggage of all kinds of ideology is saying, yeah, but they didn't do it right that time. If we do it right, then everybody will be equal, it'll be a paradise, and everybody will be happy. And it's like, man, you really need to go back and read history, because that's not, that didn't happen, and it's not going to happen with you, right? We always think of ourselves, I don't know why this is, but we all, we always think of ourselves with this nostalgia, first of all. You know, it, it tends to be better than it was. Like, I, I remember growing up without air conditioning, you know, 260. That was the air conditioning we had. If we were lucky, the, the window, you know, some windows you couldn't roll down because they wouldn't roll back up. So sometimes it's just 160, right? And, uh, and I remember thinking, you know, I, I think back and goes, those are glorious times. 
So some days in, you know, in Dothan, I'll just roll the windows down. You know, now it's a button. The windows go down. And about two seconds later, the windows come back up. I'm like, what were... How do we live before air conditioning? I don't even know, right? <laughs> so we tend to think of it in, in nostalgia, and we tend to think that, it, that we were better than we were and that we're going to do it better next time. And the truth is, without God and out, without following after Him, without coming into alignment with Him, we are destined for failure because we always think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. He says, having done all to stand. And so part of, as we go into this series, I want you to remember this key. Preparation is the key to this, right? Now, the good news is you can catch up. But to the extent that you have not established these foundations in your life, you're going to feel the, the tension in this world even more than you would have to had you built a, found, a strong foundation. And I know this is true. This is Proverbs 22.3, one of my favorite scriptures. It says, Wise people see trouble coming and get out of its way, but fools go straight to it and suffer for it. You ever watch that? You're watching somebody's, you're watching somebody in a relationship and you're going, oh, that is going to tank hard. And so, you, you know, because you love them, you tell them. And you're like, and they'll say, you don't know him. <laughs> you don't know him like I do. He, he's not any of those things. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and then you know what you do as a wise person? You back off and you just wait for them to crash and burn and then you'll help them pick up the pieces. And maybe, you know, when the time is right, have another conversation around, hey, maybe next time, don't do that. That was kind of stupid, right? And that's tough because what will happen if you're not careful, if you keep pushing back wise people when they come and talk to you, eventually wise people will stop talking to you. And I know that because the Bible says there's this aspect about the wise and the foolish in Proverbs. Go read it. It's just 30 chapters or so. You can, you can pick it up and put it down in, in no time. But it's always going after the difference between the wise and the foolish. And here's the short version. The Bible says wise people can learn from something outside of themselves. They can see in this passage, they can see trouble coming from afar off. They can process it and go, I'm not going to be here when it gets here. I'm going to take a different walk. You know, I'm going to take a different path. But the foolish say, it's not trouble at all. Ah, and they just run right into it. And then this is what the Bible says, and they suffer for it. And this is, this is a continual phrase throughout Proverbs. The only thing for a fool are consequences. This is why it, this whole aspect of psychology about an addict and about how you have to create healthy boundaries and why what you think is love may actually be enabling, right? And if you don't understand that, you will help people to destroy themselves because you never allow them to feel the consequences of their actions, right? Now, don't get me wrong. We do this with kids. There's, there's a, a degree of allowing them to fall on a regular basis so that they learn to get up, so that, you know, they learn that it's not as bad as they think it is. They can get up and they can move forward. But it, and, and to some degree, if you see them headed towards a cliff, you're going to do everything in your power to rescue them, right? But as an adult, when someone gets that, that kind of uh, an adult's momentum behind their brokenness and their addiction, it is, it's almost impossible to stop them from going over the cliff. And so sometimes we do these things called interventions. But here's the thing. Interventions only work if somewhere in this process they see trouble from far off and they take refuge. But too often they don't. The same thing is true about spiritual, um, spiritual warfare. Too often we are embroiled in the middle of what the enemy is doing and don't even realize that we're, that we're caught up in it. 
So rather than pushing back and saying, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to back up. I'm going to do this God's way. I'm going to find out my part in it, and I'm going to pursue it. And the danger so often that we fall into is we get caught up into it again in the natural, in the emotional, all those different things, and even sometimes trying to battle spiritually without battling spiritually the way God designed it. So that's what we want to kind of talk about is how do we, how do we stand in the evil day? As things come at us, maybe they're going to get worse, maybe they're going to get better. I'm, I'm an optimist. I like to think that things are going to get better, but then I've been wrong. <laughs> the good news is, is no matter what happens, the best thing that's possible for me is to go to heaven. The worst thing people can do to a believer in their head is to kill them. And to some degree, that's the best thing that can happen to a believer because the very next step is absolute joy walking into the presence of the Lord, right? So let's look at Ephesians 6.15 because this is, this is kind of what I want to go after today. It's a very interesting scripture. Um, it's a little out of order in terms of the armor of God. It mentions uh, the belt of truth and breastplate of righteousness a few passages before this. But I want to I touch on this one for, uh, for a reason. This is Ephesians 6.15. So it says, it talks about again, the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness. And then it says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I've heard this, and maybe you've caught this, that, um, that you're shod with the gospel. It's, you know, that's kind of what it is. And so the gospel is on, you know, is on your feet, and that's what, you know, there's another passage that says, beautiful are the feet, right? And so in, in your mind, it's like the, we're bringing the gospel. So the, it's there so I can bring the gospel. But listen to it again and, and kind of break it down. With it. it says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness. So that word readiness, there's different translations um, the ERV, easy to read version, says, on your feet wear the good news of peace to help you stand strong. But listen again to, to it in this first passage. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. There's this preparation or readiness, that word that's translated that, that way. According to one, um, one translation and one uh, commentary, it's used in classical Greek in the same sense as a firm foundation so that makes sense right being on your feet and if you remember you know my story before about when my feet were hurting <laughs> right I, I didn't want to do anything let alone march or take a stand or any other thing I just wanted to sit on the couch you know I didn't want to want to and you know you protect it like you, your coffee table's here and you go like six blocks out of the way to get around it you know what I'm saying so so if, if your feet are not protected if you if your feet aren't shod with this readiness this preparation this having this thing this gospel of peace being built inside of you then you're not going to be ready to to take that stand when the stand is necessary to take and that's what I want to kind of get after so I want to show you a slide this is a picture of a Roman shoe they call it a, a caliga or Caliga, if you remember, like the there's there was an emperor emperor named Caligula, and uh, some people think that this shoe got its name from him, but it's actually the other way around. Caligula, when he was a young man before he became emperor, they would take him out to the front lines, kind of as an education to see the Roman armies fight, and they would dress him as a child in Roman gear, and they would create little boots for him, because um, the the Roman soldiers would actually wear about three sets of these in a year. They would wear them out. That's how much they marched. That's how much they fought. They were, they were fighting machines. Uh, at one point, there were 60, um, I think it was 60 different um, groups of legions. So we're talking at the, I, I did the math at one point, it's anywhere from between 
1.3 million pairs of shoes all the way up to 2.7 million pairs of shoes per year, right? And they didn't have mass production. Most of the time the soldiers made them themselves or they had somebody else make them. So these shoes were not named after the emperor. The emperor was actually named after these shoes. And so these were the shoes that legionnaires wore. Very interesting. They called them war boots, but they were, they were a readiness. In other words, if, if they weren't shod with these, if you notice, um, they weren't closed. And they did that on purpose, one, because it allowed to heat to dissipate so they w- you wouldn't sweat as much so it would last longer. And then secondly, they would often march through water, and, and then these things would you know, obviously it would drain out and they would, um, they would dry up pretty, pretty quick. But they would wear these things out. One of the things you would notice on, on the sole of these shoes are almost like what we would call modern-day cleats, right? Like you see this in football in different places, golf maybe. But the whole idea behind this was they were designed to take a stand. So if you've seen, I'm sure you've seen the movies where they, they have the shield wall and they put the shield over it and then the armies, you know, the armies that would advance and come crashing into the shield wall Right, and the shield wall would hold. If they did it correctly, it was impenetrable. They couldn't get past it. The enemy couldn't get past it, and they would slam against this wall, and they would hold. They would take a stand, and because of these cleats, because of these shoes, they were ready to do what was ever, whatever was necessary. Some of that was marching, and they would march over tough ground, and so this gave them traction to get there, but when would they take their stand, they would lean in with these shields, as we kind of you know, talk about in the other armor of God. They would lean in, and when the enemy would come in like a flood, right? Scripture says in Isaiah that there was a standard that was raised up against him. In the same way, these enemies would come at these shield walls, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't get past it, not because of the shield. This is really important to understand. It wasn't the shield that kept them from getting past it. You couldn't do it without the shield, right? But if you didn't have these shoes on, which most armies did not have shoes like this. So guess what would happen next? They would slam against it, right? They would, through, the, through their shields, pierce these guys. And so they'd put the first people on the ground, right? They'd kill them. And then they would start moving and advancing and slowly but surely begin to push that army back, destroying as many of them as they can until inevitably those armies, what was left of them, would break and run if there was anybody left at all. It was a pretty good strategy. <laughs> Rome took over the known world, and then the Greeks used this as well. Alexander the Great took over the rest of the world. This is why they say it was possible. Without this, they say that, that probably those two armies would not have been nearly as successful as history shows that they were. So why is that important? Lots of different reasons. But this peace of God, this readiness, listen to what it says again. On your feet, wear the good news of peace to help you stand strong. The other version says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. That you have traction and you can stand because there's a readiness of something called the gospel of peace. So what is that? What is the gospel of peace? It's simple. You have already been reconciled to God. That's the gospel of Really, the gospel of peace, is, that's the easiest way to put it. Ephesians, a couple of passages back, a couple of uh, chapters back in chapter 2, verse 14, says this. Talking about Jesus, it says, He, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus, accepting Jesus as the Messiah, accepting Christ as, as the Savior, 
I've shared this many times, our uh, religion, the, you know, if you want to call it the world religion of Christianity, is the only one with a Savior. No other religion has a Savior. Why? Because all the rest of them, you can pull yourself by, up by your bootstraps and you can do it yourself. But it's, this, it's no different than trying to do battle, trying first of all to march into it, and second of all to take a stand without those boots on, without those sandals on, without those studs, without those cleats, you are going to slip further and further back because the enemy without that is too powerful. But with it, not only can he not advance, the Bible says that, that we as believers that, that the heaven, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, right? That's this picture of the spiritual warfare. And the violent take it by force. And here's another picture of it. It's really not so much about that moment, right? It wasn't one battle that caused Rome to be so feared. It was the fact that Rome would come for you and there was nothing you could do. I mean, think about that, that they were just, they were just absolutely relentless. I, I read this. This is a fascinating thing about humanity, just people in general. That, you know, people talk about we are the apex predator on the earth. Now, if, you've ever, if you ever swim in the ocean and you see a shark, um, you're, you don't think of yourself as an apex predator, right? But, but because of our mind, because of where we are on the on the food chain, so to speak, is, and this is what the, uh, all the fishermen said when we lived in Destin for three years. They said, the problem with shark attacks is you idiots keep getting in the water. Right? Literally, that's what he told me. He said, you do know we have boats. Like, we invented those things a long time ago. And he goes, we catch sharks and kill them all the time. It's easy. <laughs> Just don't get in the element with them. Right? And the same context is about our spiritual stand against the enemy. How often do we get in there with him and we lose the advantage of the gospel of peace? See, we, we lose this sense of my relationship with God is not only what gets me through, it's, what it, it's actually bringing that into the environment that I'm in and changing the literal environment that I'm in. We talked about the, differ, the dip, difference between um, a thermostat and, and a and a Thank you, thermometer, I lost it for a second. But the difference is that you and I are the one who set the temperature. We don't react to the culture around us and let that determine our temperature. That's why the Bible says a soft answer will turn away wrath. But let me tell you, if you don't have the gospel of peace inside of you, especially nowadays, you are not going to have a soft answer, especially on the highway. Just from experience on that one, right? Road rage. I talked to a friend of mine not too long ago. He, uh, he's a, a concealed carry, uh, pistol carrier, and brilliant guy, smart guy, understands the concept of it. You know, every, every shot fired, you're responsible for it, especially if it misses, especially if it misses, right? Super important. This is, we're hearing all this stuff about police brutality and all these things. This Part of this is why, that you're responsible for every bullet that comes out. Everything you do, you're responsible for it. And he said to me, he said, I'm not carrying right now. He's not a believer. And I said, why not? He said, I don't trust myself. And see, that's an aspect of it. That, that you're in that place where you're going to allow everything to escalate. And see, part of the gospel of this readiness, this picture, is that the enemy is not going to be able to push you back. Rather, we are actually set to take the stand when it's necessary and then to begin to push back the kingdom of darkness and take the ground 
back again. So there's two aspects of this peace. I'm going to end with this. The first one's simple. It's peace with God. That's the gospel of peace, really getting that. Becoming a believer. What does that look like? You know, I've heard so many times it's like you need to pray the, the, the uh, sinner's prayer. One, there's no such thing as a sinner's prayer. Right? Not one time in the Bible do you see Jesus say, lift your hand, right? All those, right? Close your eyes. Listen, I have no problem with people doing that. I've done that myself. May do it again in the future. It's a method. It's fine, right? The problem is this. If we're not careful, it changes the mindset of what Jesus had in mind, which is what he said was to follow me. Why? Because if you have to make a commitment to follow him, to pursue peace with God, and at some point, you're going to make a decision about whether you're willing to lay your life down for Christ because he's already laid his life down for you. There's a moment where, even like Peter said, you know, all these people are leaving. Jesus says some really hard things, and he does. He holds us accountable and holds us responsible because he's given us the authority to be transformed. God never gives us responsibility without authority. So he gives us the authority to be transformed. And then he holds us accountable for what that transformation looks like. That's part of what Ephesians says. Here's how you should walk as a husband and wife. Here's how you should walk in a business setting. Here's how you should walk putting off the old man, putting on the new. Why? Because you can, right? And you should. So, and we talk about grace all the time, but, but the, this aspect of pursuing at some point, Jesus said some hard things, and the Bible says that Peter comes before him, and Jesus says to him, are, are you, he says to the disciples, are you willing to leave too? Because everybody was bailing. Peter was, it's pretty simple. Peter's a matter of fact kind of guy. He's a fisherman. He said, Lord, where else would we go? You are the only ones, only one with the words of eternal life. You are the only one that holds peace. Where would I go? I've tried it. I've tried all kinds of spiritual disciplines. I, I tried transcendental meditation. I was a martial artist. I went into the, to the eastern eastern. Uh, religions, Eastern mysticism, all that stuff, tried it all, and it gave me a temporary peace at best. Physical discipline, did, it, it was helpful, but it never dealt with the, the thing that was on the inside of me. The only thing that can do that is Jesus. This is Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, my believing what Jesus did, my believing that God is telling me the truth, that I can trust his word, Believing, that's justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way to get peace with God. I didn't say that. Jesus said it. The Bible says it numerous times. There is no one, no one that you can come to that's going to give you peace outside of Christ. Life apart from Christ has no deep peace. People are aware of this cosmic discomfort. I've heard people call it. Some of, for some, it manifests itself in a general sense of alienation, a sense of not belonging. With other, it's a raging awareness that their life is somehow not right. Some pursue peace with passive desperation, longing for something to change, but it never does. Some may go wild in pursuit of this peace, hoping it will come through money or sex or the accumulation of knowledge, education, Religious exploration, but like I said before, all you will ever find if you pursue that is a temporary peace at best. But when a person finds peace with God through Christ, it is inexpressibly wonderful. 
talking from my own experience. And it is this thing that makes every other thing okay. <laughs> it's the foundation, Jesus called it, Matthew chapter 7. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Why? Because it had its foundation on the rock. The traction from those shoes, the gospel of peace. He says, but everyone who won't put these shoes on, who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. He knew the storm was coming. It's not like he didn't says, the rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. All around us, people have decided to build their house on a foundation. Some foundation of, again, money, um, you know, again, I mean, religion, there's a million things people build their, their foundation on. And the Bible says, doesn't say, if the storm comes. Why? Because the days are evil. We live in a fallen and a broken world. The days are going to be evil, and the storm is coming if it hasn't come already. My experience, I'm 53, I've had the storm come more than once. I lived in Destin, and it came on a regular basis in the natural, right? And if you didn't have a strong foundation, your house was coming down every single time. So the second one, we talk about peace with God, is the peace of God. This is the one so often we miss. On his final night... Jesus told his disciples these words. This is found in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. So he gives us this personal peace, peace that he knew as he lay asleep in the boat amidst a storming sea. That's a peace that we all often have. It's like, why, can, why are you sleeping, Jesus, when there's a storm all around? Because I'm the master of the storm. That's why. And if I so choose, I'll speak to the storm and it'll stop. Where's our faith? Where is it that says, like the three Hebrew children? Because I'm not Jesus, right? I'm learning and growing to, and walking like him and getting more and seeing more of his, his input and his, his life inside of me and flowing out of me. But even like the three Hebrew children that said, Know this one thing, O king, <laughs> whether he rescues me out of the fire or not. We believe he will, but whether he does or not, he's being a little bit of a pragmatist, we will not bow to you. What do you do with that? The answer is nothing. <laughs> there is nothing you can do. There is nothing you can do to someone who can take a stand like that. That I will give my life away for this because it's so valuable. Nothing you can do. Let me end with this. This is the cobbler's children have no shoes. So it's kind of a, an interesting old saying, the cobbler's children have no shoes, expresses the irony of missing that which so surely ought to be ours because of our relationship and our position. If a cobbler's making shoes day in and day out and I don't have them, <laughs> what's going on there? And this oftentimes, unfortunately, is what happens. Many Christians have peace with God because of the work of Christ, but the tragic irony is that many of us do not have the peace of God because we've pushed it away through rebellion, through neglect, oftentimes even ignorance. You just don't know that you can have it. 
And as a result, we are ever failing in battle. A friend of mine called these believers chocolate soldiers. First sign of heat, and they start melting. If this is you, if you found yourself have peace with God, I know I'm saved. Maybe you don't even know that. Maybe you need to accept Christ as your Savior. If that's something you've not done, I encourage you to to do that. Jesus said, come and follow me. And in that process, you're going to see that he is who he says he is. And it's going to call you into a place where you're going to have to make a decision about who he is and what he said and what that, what that does to you, what, how that matters to you. You have to make that call. But often we have peace with God, but we don't have the peace of God. So how do you get it back? And the answer is simple. You just ask. This is Matthew chapter 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, so here's a picture of God, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will he give him a snake? If you then, comparably being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And then, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't be anxious. Isn't it an interesting thing that the Bible in the New Testament says, don't be anxious. But Lord, I'm anxious. I know. (laughs) Don't be. (laughs) Right? It's like, well, yeah, that's easy for you to say. It actually is, and if you'll listen, it'll be easy for you to do. Don't be anxious. So how do you do that? Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, every circumstance, no matter how big or small, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Ask, Lord, I don't have peace, and you've made it available to me. Show me what's what's hindering it. Sometimes there's some things in the way. There's rebellion. Like I said, there's neglect. Part of it is if you're not spending time in the Word, if you're not spending time with God, who you spend time with is going to influence you. Right? If you're spending time with the enemy and the principalities of the air and the news all the time and the negative, guess what you're going to become? You're going, you're going to become the thing that you worship and you gaze upon. Spend time with him. He says, present your request to God. And then lastly, verse 7 says, and if you do those things, this is what will happen. The peace of God. Remember Jesus said, my peace I give to you. It's yours for the taking. You just have to ask it. You just have to receive. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding. Let me say this as I finish with the scripture. Because the peace of God is above all things, it can pull you out of the circumstances and put you there with him. That's why the Bible talks about being seated with Christ, right? In the heavenly places. Doesn't mean that you don't have work to do here and that you don't have to live in this world. But if but if you will have it, if you'll ask, if you'll do what you know to do, and if you don't know what to do, Ask. (laughs) Someone can help you. If you do it, what will happen is this peace that transcends all understanding will be yours. It goes on, it says, it will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It will guard your hearts and minds. So in this scenario, this world that we live in right now, this unprecedented time, how do we handle it? The answer is that we handle it the same way we have always handled it as believers. Peace with God, first of all. Right? Our feet shod with the gospel of peace. Peace with God, firstly, and second, and probably just as important, if not more so, 
the peace of God being poured out into your life. Because if you have peace with God and not that second one, you're going to live as if you didn't have peace with God. Does that make sense? So if you capture this, there's the peace of God that becomes yours. When everybody else is freaking out, you can be calm. I've been in situations where there's certain guys who are super calm in a very tense situation. And, and I always wonder if maybe they just don't know what's going on. <laughs> right? <laughs> and then I see their life a little bit later. This is how this guy led me to the Lord, actually. His name's Tom. Um, I watched his life, and I saw later, it turns out I'm, I was actually the one that didn't know what was going on. Tom knew what was going on the whole time. He had a transcendent picture of the world that I did not have. But when I found it, when I discovered peace with God, everything changed. And no matter what comes at you, no matter what comes against you, and the circumstances will come and tell you that God's not who he is, and you just stare them in the eye and go, I'm sorry, but I, I just know who God is. I know what he's done. I know whose I am. I know who I am, and I know what he's called me to. And there is a mission. The mission is if you take this stand, we're going to get to this as we move forward in this series. Once you take that stand, if you can't do that, none of this other stuff is going to matter. It's just not going to matter. If you get this right, though, then when you wield the sword of the Spirit, it becomes, the Bible says, a two-edged sword. It's powerful. It cuts between the, the spirit and the, and the soul. It, it breaks all this stuff down. It makes a way where people can come to see God for who he is, not who they've thought him to be. And they can have a revelation. And what's going to happen is in these unprecedented times, we're going to begin to see unprecedented revival. Why? Because the world is looking for something different. And you and I believers, you and I as believers, we have that. And it's peace with God. It's the peace of God. And when they see that, because I remember this is what happened with my, my friend Tom. He was my supervisor in the Air Force. Led me to the Lord. I asked him, I said, Tom, I see something in you. I can't articulate it completely, but whatever that is, I think I want that. Can you tell me what it is? And he said, yeah. He said, it's, it's, it comes through my relationship with Christ. And I said, no, 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 not that. I mean, that thing that you have. <laughs> he, would just, he would just grab it and put it back in front of me. He said, I'm telling you, Dave. I'm telling you. It's this. And when I finally discovered it, it's changed my world. And my prayer for you this morning is that it would change yours. So if you're missing that part, that, especially that second part, ask and then receive what God has for you, and everything's going to change. Why don't you stand with me? I hope this is helpful. Um, if you need prayer, we talked about this before. Um, if you need prayer, the way we're doing things right now is just stay in your seat, and our leaders would love to come and pray with you as other people are stepping out. Online, if you would like prayer, um, I think it, the email is prayer at, at, prayer at DothanCF. Here we go. Prayer at DothanCF.com. Sorry, still getting used to that. So um, just send us an email. We'd love for one of our prayer ministers to get in touch with you, give you a call, and pray with you. We want to see, see revelation come, and we want to see transformation come. As we do that, I think we're going to see the kingdom of God begin to grow. Um, it's really challenging in the season that we're in, but as we step forward in this, I believe God's going to, we're going to see a breakthrough that's coming. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we just say thank you, Lord. Thank you for this gospel of peace, um, this revelation, Lord, that when we see this, it changes everything in our lives. God, thank you that I can have peace even when the storm is raging. And Lord, as I learn to advance, I can even speak to the storm. 
And so, Lord, you've called us to be an agent of change, first uh, seeing change in our own lives, transformation in our own lives. And then, Lord, as we become a witness to who you are and what you've done, Lord, that we begin to see transformation come to the lives of others. And, Lord, that begins to translate into our communities and even our cities and our nation. Lord, we need that now like we never have before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Love you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.